Here we go. Today is Sunday, November 11th, 2018. This is episode 228 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good evening, Jerry. How are you doing today, buddy? Uh, so good it hurts. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm. Uh, it's Sunday again already, which always seems to sneak up on me, but here we are. Yeah, yeah. Another week awaits. <laughs> so, uh, so just a reminder before we get into things, the, uh, the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employer. Uh, let's see what is, uh, let's see what's shaking. We're, we're, we just passed, um, Halloween and, uh, and we just passed the, the midterms and, uh, you know, I guess those are going to continue to grind down for a little while. It, so it seems, um, uh, yeah, there's, uh, yes, it's counting ballots is hard. That's what I've decided. It apparently is very, very difficult, yes. Yes, yes. But I'm glad that my uh, TV is not inundated with political advertisements oh, on my. every commercial break. <laughs> yes. I don't know if it was bad every place else in the U.S., but Georgia was insane. Yeah, it was. Uh, pretty much every commercial and every commercial break was nothing but politics. So I, I suspect the only place worse than than uh where we're at is in texas because i think that i think in texas i heard they set a new record for uh campaign spending well everything's that, big in texas in that senate race so anyway um let's see getting into some stories tonight we uh we have one coming from zdnet and the title here is this is how artificial intelligence will become a weapon will become a weaponized in future cyber attacks and, uh, you know, kudos on a company called Darktrace for putting out some spam that got us to talk about it. Um, they, they released this white paper which talks about uh, three different kind of use cases or, or, or observations they had in, uh, in responding to different incidents and, and kind of projected into the future, which is why I thought this was particularly interesting, how, um, you know, that kind of the trend line of... In, uh, the bad guys imparting artificial intelligence into attacks. So, um, yeah, there were there were like I said, there were three different uh, cases that, that they uh, that they looked at. One was an infection, a trickbot infection. Trickbot is uh, a you know, traditionally a banking trojan or a, a banking credential stealing trojan, uh, but it's it's pretty modular. And they pointed out in a particular. Uh, case involving a law firm that this um, this this uh, variant of Trickbot had some uh, some extra functionality that let it propagate using uh, some some different uh, tactics like uh, Eternal Blue, <clears throat> and they also observed in the aftermath and the, the cleanup that some Empire PowerShell uh, stuff had been dropped by it, and then they they go on to in in. Uh, you know, in in their analysis, they go on to talk about how, in the future, we we may see uh, malware laden with with more intelligence 
that, uh, and this is kind of permeates all three scenarios. I won't go th- necessarily through all three, but you know, basically, as uh, as time goes on and and you know, understanding of artificial intelligence techniques uh, continues to develop, it's not hard to envision a situation where the malware has the ability to uh, kind of self-monitor or self-assess uh, the environment that it lands that it lands in and determine the appropriate next next course and so you know they they give the example and i think it was in a in a in a different um one of the different examples that you know let, let's say a, a a piece of malware lands on a, a a workstation belonging to an executive well that piece of malware may decide to do um you know let's say you know, launch a ransomware attack, whereas if it figures out that it's landed on some kind of uh, low-value file server, uh, that you know it may be, um, it may decide that the most appropriate uh, course of action is to run a crypto miner. But is that really AI, or, or is that just a smart if-then tree? I think it's the latter, um, and you know, by the way, the, so so what? One of the things that got Got, got a little bit irritating was in, in in this first instance they talked about how uh, you know well what 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 would happen if uh, you know if if this trick bot had the intelligence to let's say launch a Mimikets style attack and then propagate using PS exec and I got to thinking well isn't that exactly what not pet you did right yeah pretty much <laughs> the answer I, is I, I yes. Guess. I mean, it depends really on how you define AI. And I mean, this is a much, much broader, broader discussion for sure. But in my mind, AI is independent problem solving, like coming up with a new option that wasn't predefined in the code, but assessing all the environmentals, all the situations, all the facts it can assess and then deciding a novel outcome, a novel course based on that, as opposed to, you know, the malware authors coming up with a number of scenarios that it's pre-programmed to detect and respond to. So I don't, I, clearly, AI is a very complicated thing, and it, it's one of those undefined things in general for most people, so marketing folks can launch on it. And, and I will just say for the moment, I really like how this ends – because Dark Trace says, defense's cyber, cyber AI is the only chance to prepare for the next paradigm shift in the threat landscape when AI-driven malware becomes a reality. Once the genie's out of the bottle, it cannot be put back again. So I wonder who's about to launch a defensive cyber AI tool. Well, they, you know, for, fortunately for uh, customers of, of that, that company, you know, the, uh, apparently their, um, you know, their, their wares were able to detect all of these attacks that they... I am shocked right really i mean that that's uh it's, it's so, surprising i think what this article says to me is malware is going to continue to become more sophisticated and more evolved got it on board with that no problem i don't know that if we go back to saying the bad guys only need to be as good as they need to be we're a long way away from them needing to actually spend the resources to truly embed actual ai into their code. Uh, and I wonder how resource intensive that would be anyway. So 
I don't know. I, I guess it's possible. I, you know, uh, it's a constant arms race, but it just felt like a, a marketing piece to me. Well, it, it, it clearly, absolutely was marketing, and I mean that's what. Compa- so you just threw this in here just just to push my buttons. Well, clearly, and that was obviously my my intent. Um, <laughs> but you know, I so so I thought what was what was interesting was the concept of malware operating without a command and control channel, and and that was I think the point of um, you know of, uh, at least some of this was you know, it, in general we detect um, you know and, and we we monitor malware and the activity that malware. Uh, takes by looking at uh, at command and control channels, and and the th- the thing that is hypothesized throughout this report is, well, what if that command and control channel is no longer needed? Because, you know, what however you want to cl- classify it, the intel the the, um, the malware has the capability of taking actions. Uh, on its own, whether that's just a dumb decision tree or whether it's you know something. Um, you know something more fancy. That's the. I, I think that's the uh, the point. I mean, but isn't that going to put botnet operators out of work? Has anyone thought of them? I. You know, all I'm saying is they better start unionizing. Uh, there pretty, is a whole pretty quick whole bunch of people sitting in their ATP command centers <laughs> or APT command centers. Sorry, you know, waiting to make these decisions and uh, right. Exactly. Exactly. Now they're going to be jobs are, out of business. They, they're not coming back once they're gone. Ro- robotic malware. That's what we're going to call it. <laughs> Robotically processed malware. Um, you know, and, and so so I, I I think the the interesting thing to me is that this is an an inevitable eventuality that we have to live with, and I would say that. Um, you know, one of the one of the points of this article was that it, over time, uh, the the malware is going to become so I mean sophisticated to the point where we won't be able to catch up or, or kind of keep pace with it and respond, uh, you know, respond as a uh, infection or or a compromise is unfolding. But you know, the reality is, I think that we're already there. Um, I think we already have that problem. <laughs> Well, the reality is when you're competing in a crowded cybersecurity tool market, <laughs> the best thing you can do put is, to create a, is create a new market that your competitors are not in. See, you know, that, that's, that's – it's the, it's the blue ocean strategy. That's innovation right there. Absolutely. So, so if I'm, you know, Dark Trace or whomever – I think that was who – Yeah, it's Dark Trace. No, right. no offense to them. I don't have any ill will to them, but – if I'm their marketing people and I'm like, man, I'm competing against 17 other companies directly in my space. Hey, what if we can create a brand new space that nobody else is in? AI-enabled defensive cyberwares. Nice. Let's do that. Wait, engineer <laughs> in the back says, what does that mean? Don't worry about it. It's just marketing. Go with it. Okay. Yeah. This has been a live excerpt of most of my career. <laughs> yeah. Except, you know, the, the, the downside is I, I actually think they are playing catch up. I've I've been to a number of conferences lately and most of the next gen antivirus companies are are actually saying the same thing already. So I mean I 
you know, this, I think this is them really playing catch up, but the, you know, I guess the, the net point is, uh, malware is going to continue to become more sophisticated, but I think we also have to be aware that it's going to get sophisticated in ways that we may not expect. And, and I remember kind of hypothesizing in the wake of, um, in the wake of not pet that, you know, th- this sort of thing could become much more problematic because, you know, the, the, the deal with not pet was that it landed on a system. It interrogated this, you know, LCS looking for credentials and then it, you know, then it propagated uh, all on its own. And, you know, a, a lot of, um, not all, but a lot of lateral movement techniques is probably pretty scriptable, right? And, sure. And so it's not it's not very hard to think that, um, you know, we're, yeah, we actually going to see this. We, we are yeah, going to see this. Yeah, where we are today, it's, it's a matter of just bringing a couple things together. Um, right. But, but, you know, to, to add a little light to the conversation... It's not like the good guys are standing still either. Very true. Absolutely. You know, it it is an arms race. You know, there is there is a back and forth going on here. So true. So at the end of the day, just um, pat yeah. your stuff. Yeah, keep your antivirus up to date. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, so moving on to the next story, I, I I threw this one in here also because I knew it was gonna um gonna get you get you going. This one comes from securityinfowatch.com. Which I guess is like a new competitor to the Apple Watch. This this explains um, why my blood pressure is so high today. <laughs> the title here is Cybersecurity is Everyone's Workplace Responsibility. Every one. I have no comment on the story. <laughs> so so I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was fitting because the very last show we did two weeks ago. Uh, we talked about a uh, a report from I, f- I forget the person's name about how. Uh, you know, cybersecurity is not everybody's responsibility, and it is uh, you know it's really the responsibility of the technology and process designers. And I thought this, by the way, this this particular article is somewhat long, and they they talk up front about how indeed it is all you know th- the responsibility of everybody. But then they spend like the next half of the article talking about how, well, you know, but that's not enough. You actually have to implement controls. And maybe you should look at the CIS cybersecurity, the top 20 cyber controls and, and, uh, and so on. So, Well, it, obviously, you know my opinion on this because I just gave a talk on this at, at, at uh, DerbyCon. I think certainly training your users and having them be helpful to you in an early warning heads up is great. They have some interesting things on that front, but I still feel that it's, if that is what you're hanging your hat on, you're in deep trouble. And, you know, somebody pointed this out a couple weeks ago. There was USGS guy compromised his work computer because he was browsing a bunch of porn sites at work. And everybody was jumping up and down saying, what do you do in browsing porn sites? And and for the love of me, I went and looked today. I couldn't find it because I wanted to attribute to them. But somebody made a quote on Twitter, and I apologize for not knowing who it was, along the lines of, you're missing the point. If your folks can't browse porn safely, you've got a problem. In other words, you should be architecting your system in such a way that with the knowledge, people are going to be going to hostile websites that are going to be trying to infect your machines. Right. You know, and 
obviously you shouldn't be going to porn sites, but there's nothing there's nothing mutually exclusive about hostile sites being porn sites. We see this over and over again, especially with um, injected banner ads and all sorts of third-party ads that are coming into really, really well-respected websites. Yeah, so exactly. Uh, it goes back to, again, you can train your folks all day long, but if you're not keeping them safe – they're going to do things you don't want them to do because that's not what, you know, they have other incentives to do other things and to, to do their stuff. Uh, anyway, I don't, I, I said I was going to have no comment. Clearly I lied. <laughs> well, I think the other, the other side is that most of the things or many of not most, but many at least of the things that can, can get people into trouble are, are, are not recognizably. So necessarily, at least at the time. And so from that perspective, you know, and in, 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 in here they talk about how, um, you know, you, you may end up having to implement employee sanction policies, you know, um, like penalties if people take actions that are contrary to, you know, um, their, their training. And, and I, you know, certainly if I think there's a distinction to be made there, if it's, you know, if you're saying, you know, don't, you know, don't send this file <laughs> to, to uh to to jerry and you know you send the file to jerry you know you should probably you know f- feel some consequences but if it's you know if the if, if the thing that you're being told not to do is you know don't open email from an uh, you know from a um someone that you're not expecting you know like i i just have a i have a big big problem with this philosophically that we are we are fundamentally trying to put the burden on the people because we have not designed IT systems in a way that's resilient to the common types of attacks today. Yeah. We're, we're blaming the victim as well as being arrogant about our skill set and knowledge. And why don't the muggles just understand? And I think that that's very wrongheaded thinking. And I think that's very arrogant thinking. That's going to continue to cause us problems. Uh, you know, or or it's also the reach of it's the best answer we have because we don't have a better answer. And it just sort of caught on, you know, because nobody wants to be a naysayer to the executives. Right. Damn executives. All right. Moving on to uh, next story. Also from ZDNet title here is Adobe Cold Fusion servers under attack from APT group. Uh, All right. So just patch it. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so the story here is that uh, uh, Adobe actually did p- release a patch for Cold Fusion. You know, kudos on them. But apparently, the patch was reverse engineered, and because I I, suspe- I strongly suspect that um, you know the adversaries understand that Cold Fusion is one of those things that does not get patched quickly um, you know, for for a variety of different reasons. Um, that the you know the so I don't know if it's one actor or multiple actors uh, have gone off and are actively exploiting the thing that this patch uh, is intended to fix, which basically is a remote file upload and and then um, and then execution arbitrary file execution once you've uploaded it. So um, you know not not great, uh, you know, not a great thing. But you know this is a this is a real conundrum. I think you know we and we've not. I, I don't think we've got a great solution to this because we've seen similar kinds of things with um, similar kinds of problems with like Equifax and struts. 
in terms of the patch being released causing the bad guys to figure out the vulnerability and go attack it? No, no. In terms of, um, in terms of complicated business systems going unpatched for extended periods of time. Sure. I think this is just a, you know, this is a, a novel way for the bad guys to become aware of, you know, how to, how to attack the system. Right. But I, you know, there's a, there's kind of an indication that possibly this vulnerability was known prior to the patch. Right. No, I, I, I agree with your point and I don't want to take away from it. As a secondary point, though, I do find it interesting that we as an industry don't seem to know how to obfuscate our patches in such a way to hide the source of the vulnerability we're patching. In other words, especially with open source, it makes it really easy to figure out what is it that's being patched and give the bad guys a laser focus to go research uh, what the vulnerability is. And I, I don't know. I don't know if, if I'm just being naive or, or don't understand it well enough, but I'm starting to wonder if there's something to be said about trying to obfuscate what it is we're patching so we don't give the bad guys too much of an easy find. But uh, that's probably something that sounds really good on paper, but is incredibly difficult, if not impossible to implement. And I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, I suspect it's a, it's a, it's a bit of each, um, you know, and, and I mean, obviously in an ideal world, we would get everything patched before the, you know, before the details would, it would be discernible by the bad guys. But I think the, the, the big concern I have with things like this, and, and I, I, I think that, Cold fusion falls broadly into a category of stuff that is just neglected by IT, and that's you know things like JBoss and you know uh, Apache Struts and and many other uh, these kind of backend uh, web type technologies that kind of like deeply integrated into some sort of high production machine. Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, yeah. it was a it was a system that was built by Bob, you know, thirteen or. 15 years ago and he left eight years ago and everybody's afraid to touch it. He built it with Microsoft front page and nobody knows how to do that anymore. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, so it's, I, I think, um, I think that's a, that's a big problem. And I, and I, and it's, it's not strictly a security problem. This is a, you know, an, an IT problem. Like when we, when we uh, uh, give birth to an IT project or you know an IT uh, an IT system like something that's running Gold Fusion, you know you you as an organization are making a commitment to caring and feeding for that thing, and I I think a lot of organizations don't fully embrace that, and, and you know and and then you end up with with stuff that's uh, just kind of languishes, and and that, again mm-hmm. th- this is why by the way why I'm growing increasingly convinced that the whole DevOps slash agile perspective is a, is going to be a net benefit to the industry because it kind of, for, I, I, done right, I think it kind of forces us to continue touching and, and, um, and being familiar with the, you know, with the code base of the systems that, that we're, we're managing and it, as, as compared to where we're, where we're at right now. We we may have to spend some time talking about that on a future show because that's that's a big big topic. What if we took a slightly different approach and we assume that these systems are going to get popped? 
and you know did some sort of containerization or micro VMs where you know we're reloading from known good on a regular basis or something like that. I, I, another way that we just reset to a known good condition quickly um, mm. as opposed to having to patch, right? I don't know. I just I wonder if there's some other approaches that we could take uh, with the assumption because the problem with patching is that it's assuming that you also know all the vulnerabilities that you can patch all the time. There, there are certainly zero days in the world. There are certainly other problems out there. It wouldn't stop everything, but let's say I designed an environment where I had a rolling system that bounced between different VMs and I reloaded known good configuration every hour and bounced between them for, for you know, load balancing so I didn't have downtime. It may still suck to get compromised, but it limits the, the time on box. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, I need more coffee to think this out, but... <laughs> I actually think there is some there is something there. It, it, it's probably a little more obtuse than that. But, yeah. I, but I think that I think that you know, like operating on in a in a cloud type model. Now, whether you're talking cloud native or or just you know traditional infrastructure running on cloud, I think there are some opportunities that you know we we previously didn't really have where you could actually do stuff like that. You know, the details would would you know, would have to be worked out. But, I, you know, you would also want to probably know that, you know, something bad is happening. And, and so there's some magic that has to happen there. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I actually think um, there are organizations that do, um, you know, that I don't know that it's every hour or, or so, but they, they, um, you know, they will destroy a an instance after a period of time and spin up a new one. And I actually also think that, by the way, is um, an opportunity for patching. Like, you know, kind of going back to the concept of, well, you know, patching is difficult. Well, it is difficult, but, you know, imagine you're, you're, you're not patching a live system. You're patching a system that's not yet live. And then at some point, the live system is destroyed, and this new one, new patch one is uh, is brought live. In other news, Jerry and I are launching our new initiative. VCs call us on Monday. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So anyway, you know, it's um, we'll call it unadvanced, non-persistent threat mitigation in the cloud. Right. We got to figure out how to work blockchain in somehow. You're right. Yeah. Hmm. All right, so um, so moving on to the next story. This one comes from securityweek.com, and the title here is Troubled Waters, How a New Wave of Cyber Attacks is Targeting Maritime Trade. You're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> yes. Um, so, ay, ay, ay. Um, I don't know if you read all the links that, that are off of this, but uh, there's a whole bunch of... Uh, yeah, because I got nothing but time. <laughs> To well, read all the crap you send me. Well, it's good that I spent the time. <laughs> so, uh, so they, they, you know, the the, um, the author here points out that. I mean, I'm on my third playthrough of Witcher Three, man. I got priorities. Well, I mean, we all, we all got to prioritize our lives. That's right. Sorry. Go on. So they, you know, they point out the author here points out that um, you know maritime is the maritime industry has been the subject of many, uh, you know, many apparently targeted attacks and he points out the the big problem with 
uh, it's not directly named, but uh, Maersk had the big problem with uh, NotPetya last year, and they, they reported losing more than $300 million, and they mentioned that uh, uh, the the port of Long Beach, the port of Barcelona, and the port of Sa- San Diego had, quote, major security breaches within the span of a week. And then the article goes on to point, you know, to talk about how, um, you know, how uh, critical and, and problematic um, and vulnerable this industry is to you know to these kinds of targeted attacks. But you know, I, I think the the thing that really frustrates me is when you look underneath these things. I don't think any of them were actually targeted at. I mean, maybe they were targeted in, in as much as you know they they had some vulnerability that a bad guy exploited, but. In, nothing that I've seen in any of these stories leads me to believe that they were targeted because they were the operators of some port. And so to me, it seems like not the, the story, the headline here isn't that, you know, oh my God, the the maritime industry is being targeted by bad guys. It's nope. The maritime industry has such piss poor you know, infrastructure security that they're being you know, severely harmed by commodity malware intended for other kinds of industries. That's the headline that I think now, should Now, is here. that because they have all these sort of legacy, uh, for lack of a better term, industrial systems being run off of uh, boxes like running Windows XP that can't be patched or shouldn't be patched that are suddenly getting exposed to the Internet and to these threat vectors that they normally were isolated from? Well, I, so there's, I guess one point is, there's nothing to indicate that any kind of control systems are being impacted here. It appears like it's kind of normal back office-ish IT stuff that's being impacted. And so like their ability to bill and, you know, see what shipments are coming in and all that stuff, that's what's being impacted here. So- it's not that their crane is down because it's been... <laughs> hacked <laughs> so <laughs> oh, that, that just ransomware <laughs> three bitcoin to let the right crane lower your package to the ground right. uh anyway right. <laughs> um, or your cargo container uh so i mean is it just sort of implying that the maritime industry just is really behind the times on just generic basic id security yeah, I, is I, that I, what they're saying that, i think that's i think that is the that that should mm-hmm. be the headline but then I'm not sure that there's anything that is unique about maritime. Like I think it's just that somebody's picked up the ball and and is is you know is and is picking on maritime. I think if you were to pick on the steel industry or the water in you know the the, the water gotcha. industry, you know, so I think you would have the same not worse, right? Yeah. They're not worse than any the others. They just happen to be the the their time in the barrel as it were. I I I think so. I think it's the shark sure. attack, you know, like there, there was three shark attacks on you know last year, and so <laughs> now that's all we're going to hear about. I see, I see, I see that maritime industry boats, boats are in the water, sharks are in the water, our shark. I see what you're doing. Correct, exactly. It's like how uh, what, why fire trucks are red, right? Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oi, always rushing you around. Know, but in my notes for this particular story. One thing that I – I'm going in the wrong direction from what you're saying, but I did want to make the point anyway because why not? You know, What are you going to do? Cut me out of the show? Huh? Uh, right, right. I suppose actually you could. You could edit out this entire thing and I wouldn't know. 
Yeah, just be anyway. me, be, be me talking to nothing. Yep. All right, guys. Here's the thing: if you don't hear me in the show, let me know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Anyway, At so Lurg, yes. <laughs> so I do think that there are a number of. Uh, machines out there that that are sort of some sort of industrial control machine that are running off of old OSs that cannot be patched and cannot be touched. And I think, you know, whether it's the medical industry, whether it's the, the, you know, certain manufacturing industry, all sorts of different areas have these, whatever it is, whether it's a crane, whether it's a MRI machine, whatever is being run by a commodity OS, but that commodity OS is only certified for a specific version and cannot be patched and cannot be touched. I think that's really dangerous. And I think these manufacturers need to have pressure put on them to say, look, if you're going to use a non, you know, customized hardened OS, like a non-purposeful OS, and you're going to use something commodity, you've got to allow your customers to patch. You have to build that in somehow in your product cycle. Not allowing them to patch is just setting everybody up for pain. Uh, I get it, though. You know, if, if I run an MRI machine and... It's dependent on being on, you know, Windows XP stock. I'm not going to threaten that MRI machine with a with an unsanctioned patch. I've got to do my job. So this goes back to the manufacturers of that controller uh, of not being so naive about this. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if they if they want to do something like that, then they need to have like a commodity, a non commoditized, hardened, limited scope, non general purpose computer to run it because it's much less likely to be attacked. But if you're going to let me run a commoditized OS. You've got to let me patch and upgrade. Uh, otherwise, yeah. I'm just asking for pain. Yeah, I, I think you're 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 spot on there. We we have a we have a uh, um, you know, fundamental conflict of technology. You know, when when a lot of these systems are, are put in, and you know, the industrial systems, whether it's a healthcare system or a crane or a production line or anything else like that. They often nowadays are and, and have been for a long time are you know are automated and that means means computing and um, you know and, and for I think for a variety of reasons there's been a push to you know minimally interfacing those things with traditional uh, you know, traditional IT but oftentimes you know actually being driven by you know by a Windows system or what have you and I think that's really very wrong, right? Because the, the these these uh, these systems are generally intended to be durable equipment, you know that that have uh, have lifespans often expected to be into the decades, and you know th- that is just completely incompatible with IT, with you know kind of commercial IT. It's just it, it yeah that they are they are not compatible. And I don't know that there's a good solution yet. It is something that I think the industry has to reconcile. But you know, in in general, until that happens, it you know it, it's going to fall on some creative people to figure out how to design environments that um, they can keep these things safe. And that's that's a really tough, really tough nut. Absolutely. But yeah. I, but I'm going to say you know, <clears throat> there's been a lot of hype and hoopla and and uh, we're going to talk about one more story here which we'll you know we'll get into it uh, also but uh, you know i i think that this is a common problem 
But I, I also don't think that we've seen a lot of targeted attacks. I mean, I think we have seen targeted attacks that take advantage of this, but I don't think we've seen a lot of them. I think what we see a lot of is uh, you know, these systems are being interrupted by, you know, just coincidentally, you know, the, they were, it's, a, it's, the, it's the MRA machine or it's the crane or it's the production line you know, running on a Windows system and the Windows system gets, you know, gets uh, ransomwared. Well, you know what? That isn't a targeted attack on your production system. I'm, you know, <laughs> that's... Right. It's it's coincidental. It's low-hanging fruit. Right. Right. So, um, so anyway, that that brings us to the last, the last story for today. And, and uh, you know, the, the title here is, oh, well, this comes from Security Affairs. And the title here is USB drives are primary vector for destructive threats to industrial facilities. It sounds really ominous, doesn't it? Um, so I, I'm afraid. Are you afraid? <laughs> I'm afraid. Yeah, so th- this, this comes out of a, a report or summarizes a report from Honeywell. And Honeywell uh, has this technology. I don't, don't fully claim to fully understand it, but they... Uh, they call it the Secure Media Exchange, and they've they've dropped this off at fifty different sites around the world, uh, where where these presumably Honeywell con- industrial control systems are, and uh, and through some magic, I don't know if they have to plug in the USB drive to this thing first, and then to their, I, I don't I don't fully understand exactly how this worked, but um, they they analyzed the USB drives that were being plugged into the control systems at these 50 sites and, and found some interesting things that, um, you know, despite these control systems, best practices being, you know, complete air gap, which is, you know, generally not uh, what happens as we just talked about, but um, they, they point out that USBs are a major, uh, you know, major source of, uh, of attack. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, they go through. There's a lot of you know a lot of details in here. They they point out that um, oh, let's see, uh, one in four had a potential. One in four um, uh, pieces of malware that that were detected on USBs connected to these control systems had the potential to cause major disruption. Uh, and then, but but when you look under that again, a lot of these things are like the Mirai botnet and uh, and ransomware, and you know and WannaCry, uh, but Stuxnet and Triton were in there too. Uh, so so you know it's it's um it's it it's interesting. They they actually go on to talk about how there are um they they saw what what I <laughs> assume to be a wide array of crap coming on on these USB drives, including things like um, uh, key uh, key generators, so license key generators. For just random for software. For random software. And but key gens often have malware in them, but that's a different story. No, it, it, absolutely, absolutely true. But what it tells me is that the, um, you know, this is not like, a situation where where there's some you know there's some adversary trying to convince you to go and plug a USB drive in what what this with this report I walked I read this report and I and I walked away saying you know 
The single biggest problem <clears throat> with this story is that people are using their home USB drives. <laughs> so we need to outlaw USB drives? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm, no, I'm, I mean, I, I don't know what it means. I, I guess what I'm saying <laughs> is that, um, you know, a lot of the observations appear to come as a result of, of uh, you know, the employees of these companies apparently having just bad hygiene. Yeah. And so they point out that, you know, a lot of the malware that is detected on this, uh, on these USB drives are not detected by actually said 5%, only uh, 5% of the malware that was found on these USB drives was completely undetectable by, by antivirus. Well, that's not but really not Honeywell's by Honeywell system. I'm sure that they could detect it for you. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. Now, so so in you know, in general, I thought it was um I, I thought it was indicative of a you know, a, of a procedural problem <laughs> in in that in that you know, we we we're we're taking uh USB drives that are uh, you know not purpose not dedicated to the purpose, but you know it kind of goes back to the to the story we talked about a little while ago that we have to allow for the fact that people are going to do that. Yeah, I was just going to say this sounds like you know the same thing of of you know how how could these people be so silly and they should know better. But then again, we should also be able to account for that and be resilient in the face of that. Right you now, we we. Once again, if we're dependent on our users to never make a mistake, we're in serious trouble. Correct, but at the same time, I, I think this is a, um, I think this is a, a, a tougher nut to crack because I just don't think that security is as advanced in the operational technology field as it is in the industrial control field, as it is in, you know, kind of commercial IT. And I think that we do a terrible right. job in commercial IT. But we're, but I think we're far ahead of, you know, of, of uh, industrial control systems' ability to react to a USB drive being plugged in, and and so I think that what it tells me is, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, we have to design an overall program that accounts for the weaknesses in the systems and the you know the potential problems that people may inject and so if one of those potential problems is that people um are bringing in USB drives and there is no other uh prophylactic measure that can be taken you know i you know i've look i've seen cases where you know you have to walk through a metal detector to get into a room and then one of the reasons is that they're looking for removable media yeah I mean, I, most of the environments I've worked in, the USB drives are shut down by software controls on most machines. So you need special permission to use it. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, there there are software control solutions for just disabling it. Right. But that doesn't fix the entire problem. Some people need to use them sometimes. Uh, it seems a very blunt force sort of approach. <laughs> but well, I, I think um, that in I think it is common in these um, in these industrial control systems, especially if they're air gapped for USBs to be the way that you, you, know, sure. you bring in code updates or, or what have you, patches or, or um, you know, software updates yeah. for the control system. So I think, you know, we're not going to get away from that. I think what we have to figure out is how do we, 
um, you know, how do we develop a set of controls, which may be process controls, maybe technical controls, maybe a mix of both that accommodate for that, you know, f- for the, the, the aggregate problem. And, and, and by the way, part of that is situational awareness to realize that, look, your control system is vulnerable to the sh- that people, I, I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> to the crap that people are putting on their U- their home USB drives and then carrying in and plugging into your uh, you know to your industrial control system that is operating right. your shipping crane. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> but you know, yeah. it's late on a Sunday. These things happen. But it's an interest. It is an interesting uh, problem. That yes. I don't think we have a lot of solutions for. And, um, you know, it's funny because this kind of harkens back to the early days where malware is spread via floppies. Right. You know? Right. And uh, we're, we just have an updated version of a floppy. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't alleviate us. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't relieve us, I should say, from our obligation to defend them. Right? I mean, we, can, we right. can't just say, well, you know... It's it sucks that you can't run antivirus or you can't run uh, dark trace <laughs> on right. on uh, you know on on your your Alan Bradley PLC you know that 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 that's a cop out that we just can't afford uh, and right. so it says that we have to ensure that we've got controls that account for the vulnerability in the system and and also meet the uh, the requirements of the business so um, anyway I mean. Yeah, I mean, it could be, I don't know, it depends on how the malware is exhibiting itself, but it could be as simple as saying, okay, we've got a, a known clean machine that we take the the software off the USB, mm-hmm. transfer it to a fresh USB that's reformatted every time, mm-hmm. you know, scanned with the best possible solution, then we take it to the control system. Yeah. yeah. You know, there, there are methodologies we could, in, we could invoke. Yeah, they're a pain in the butt, but there are options if we're willing to do it. Exactly. Exactly. It just it, it takes some takes some thought and planning and um you know security is hard. Yeah. That, and that's by the way, why we all have jobs. So <laughs> anyway that, that, that is that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's the show for this week. Uh thank you again, uh, everyone for listening. Thanks to our Patreon donors. Um you can follow the show on Twitter at militia, uh, sorry, at defensive sec. You can follow me on Twitter at malicious link. You can follow Mr. Kellett on Twitter at lurg. You can find the stories we talked about tonight on our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. And with that, we'll talk again soon. Have a great week, everybody. Bye bye. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>